That beautiful music is by composer George Rockberg. It's from his string quartet number three. We heard the Concord Quartet performing. This is a great example of a composer who was super well-known as a serial composer, a proponent of atonal music. But with this piece, as you can definitely hear in those lush harmonies, he has turned his back entirely on the serial movement and embraced what would become the neo-romantic movement. Welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bosted. I'm calling today's program A Change of Opinion. I was thinking about George Rockberg, and then I was thinking, well, who are the composers in our own era who may have changed their opinion, either radically, like Rockberg, or maybe more subtly? But I'm talking about composers who started out with one aesthetic and later, for whatever reason, embraced a different aesthetic. Just in case you're wondering what Rockberg used to sound like in his serial days, I want to play just a very short bagatelle. Here is number three, subtitled Con Brio, Evan Hirsch performing. short example of the rigorous serial style that Rockberg employed before the string quartet number three. That's quite a difference. This is the same composer, quite a change of opinion during his career. That was Evan Hirsch performing Con Brio, the third of the Bagatelles for solo piano by George Rockberg. The first composer that came to mind when I was thinking about composers in our own era who have changed their style over the course of their career was the great Polish composer Krzysztof Penderecki, kind of the classic case of a composer who started off as the brash young man writing experimentalist music, modernist music, really wanting to make a splash, make his name on the world stage, which he did in 1960 with the piece we're going to play a little bit of, Threnody for the Victims of Hiroshima. But between now and then, he started writing tonal music and moved away from strict serial structures. In fact, any kind of structures at all. His music now is much more loosely organized, much more tonal, and I think more lyrical. So we're going to play a little bit of the Eighth Symphony. This is a much more recent piece where you can hear this. It's a choral symphony in very short movements. But first, let's play an excerpt of Threnody for the Victims of Hiroshima. And I was thinking to myself, we've never actually played this on the program before, which is very interesting because it's a landmark piece in contemporary music, a very, very famous work. So I'm so happy to be able to play an excerpt of it now. Here's the composer himself, Krzysztof Penderecki, to conduct the Polish National Radio Symphony Orchestra in his Threnody for the Victims of Hiroshima.
Very intense music by Christoph Penderecki. That's a piece that made a big splash in 1960 when it was first premiered, Threnody for the Victims of Hiroshima. We heard the composer himself, Christoph Penderecki, conducting the Polish National Radio Symphony Orchestra. That music has also been used in the movie The Shining. I think you can hear why. One of those key scenes in The Shining, you have this wonderfully creepy music by Penderecki, a piece that he wrote in 1961 called Polymorphia that's very much in that modernist style as well, was also used in The Shining. And I love that title, Polymorphia in Greek means many states or perhaps many changes, which of course applies to our theme, a change of opinion, and certainly to Penderecki, who changed his musical style and opinion over the course of his career. I also like it because it opens and ends with a C major chord, although everything in between is absolutely modernist in intention. But perhaps the composer is already thinking about tonality, returning to tonality, even as early as 1961. Let's fast forward several decades now into our own era and the Eighth Symphony, which exhibits a complete change of opinion upon the composer's stylistic point of view. It's now tonal, still very dramatic, I think, in places, but it's lyrical and the rhythms are much more simple than the complex rhythms and the graphic scores of the 1960s. The symphony is constructed in a series of short movements, of which we're going to hear two, and it's a choral symphony. The text is from Songs of Transience. We're going to hear two movements, the end of fall, and I say to you, beloved tree. Here's the Warsaw National Philharmonic Orchestra and Choir, Anthony Witt, conducting late music of Christoph Penderecki.
music by Christoph Penderecki. We heard two movements from the Eighth Symphony, a choral symphony inspired by poems called Songs of Transience. We heard the two pieces, End of Fall, and then I Say to You, Beloved Tree. The Warsaw National Philharmonic Orchestra and Choir was performing with Anthony Witt conducting. What a long ways we've come from 1960 and the threnody for the victims of Hiroshima. The piece is still very interesting musically. The composer is a fantastic composer and a restless composer. He's questing. He's trying to find his language. But that musical language has changed a lot since the 1960s. The form and structure are much more evident. There are harmonic underpinnings. There's sometimes a tonal center, or it seems like it's going towards a tonal center rather than studiously avoiding a tonal center. The composer has clearly changed his style quite a lot. My theme on the program today is a change of opinion. I'm trying to feature composers who either consciously changed their mind during the course of their career. Definitely George Rockberg, I think, made a very considered decision. He knew the uh, flack that he would get for this, but he made the decision to change his musical style. Or composers who just kind of develop naturally, or composers who are influenced by something either musical or extra musical, and that changes their language. I want to be careful, too, that I'm not just featuring reformed modernists, people who started off as experimental composers in their youth and mellow out later on in their lives. Of course, that is the case with the next composer, David Del Tredici, but there's much more to the story than that. David Del Tredici started off as a modernist composer, as almost anybody in the 50s and 60s pretty much had to do, but he was also friends with Aaron Copland. He wanted to write tonal music, and he became one of the great founders of the neo-romantic movement. And I think that one of the ways that he found the courage to embrace this was the inspiration of Lewis Carroll, and especially the Alice in Wonderland stories. And I think that it was this extra-musical inspiration that gave Del Tredici the courage to write romantic music in this heavily modernist era. So let's hear an early work, I Hear an Army, from 1964. This is for soprano and string quartet, here inspired by James Joyce. I find it very interesting with Del Tredici that so much of his music is inspired by literature. And in the early angsty years, he's inspired by Joyce, and especially what he thought of as Joyce's artistic suffering in life. And then after we hear I Hear an Army, we'll jump up to the modern era and listen to Final Alice. But first, here are the composer string quartet and soprano Phyllis Bryn Juleson to perform an excerpt of I Hear an Army, an early work by David Del Tredici. Thank you. 
That's an excerpt of I Hear an Army, a work from 1964 by composer David Del Tredici. We heard soprano Phyllis Bryn Julson with a composer's string quartet. It's hardly an avant-garde piece, but it's much more expressionistic in its writing than where Del Tredici would go later on in his career. Let's move up now to a more modern piece where he's clearly in the neo-romantic style. This is Final Alice. This work, when it was performed in Carnegie Hall in New York, was booed and cheered at the same exact time, the audience members forming two separate camps about what they thought of this unabashed, lush, romantic musical language. Let's hear some of this controversial work, Final Alice. This will be an excerpt. We're going to hear Barbara Hendricks, soprano. She's performing with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, led by George Schulte. Neo-Romantic Music by David Del Tredici. Consider your verdict, the king said to the jury. Not yet! Not yet! The white rabbit hastily interrupted. There is a great deal to come before that. Then call the first witness, said the king. Just at that moment, Alice felt a very curious sensation, which puzzled her a good deal until she made out what it was. She was beginning to grow larger, and she thought at first she would have to get up and leave the court. But on second thought, she decided to remain where she was as long as there was room for her.
the white rabbit jumping up in a great hurry. This paper has just been picked up. What in it? said the queen. I haven't opened it yet, said the white rabbit, but it seems to be a letter written by the prisoner to, to, to somebody. He unfolded the paper as he spoke and added, it isn't a letter after all. It's a set of verses. Read them, said the king. The white rabbit put on his spectacles. Where shall I begin? Please, your majesty, he asked. Begin at the beginning, the king said very gravely. And go on till you come to the end. Then stop. There was White Rabbit read out these verses. an excerpt from a large-scale work called Final Alice, one of the many, many pieces by David Del Tredici inspired by Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. We heard Barbara Hendricks, soprano, with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, led by George Schulte. 
again, what a change of style. Of course, I think Del Tredici, he was a friend of Copland early in his life. I think he was bound to become a romantic composer, a neo-romantic composer, as they said. But I feel it was the stories of Lewis Carroll that really sparked his imagination and led the way for him. You're listening to Relevant Tones, a show featuring the music of contemporary composers. My theme today is a change of opinion, composers who change their musical aesthetic sometime during their career. To subscribe to our podcast or for streaming versions of this and all previous episodes, you can visit relevanttones.com. Well, I think the classic case, if you say to anybody, you're going to talk about a composer who changed his mind, so to speak, who changed his opinion, changed his path over the course of his career, almost anybody would point to Arvo Pärt. And I think there's almost no composer, maybe in the history of composing, who has been more agonized over this change than Arvo Pärt. Having visited the Arvo Pärt Center in Estonia and actually seen a lot of his scores and all the notes that he took, he spent over a decade really, really, really concerned about which direction his music should take. And then he had a kind of spiritual experience. He heard bells, and he decided he wanted to write music inspired by bells. And then a great rush of inspiration. He's written all the wonderful music since then. Let's have a listen to the early Arvo Pärt, pre-Tintinabulation. This piece is called Necrologue. And then we're going to jump up to a piece called Cantus in Memory of Benjamin Britten, which I also think is appropriate, as Benjamin Britten is a composer who certainly changed style during the course of his career. At any rate, here is a little bit of Necrologue, an early piece in the serial style by Arvo Pärt. Pavo Yervi leads the Stockholm Philharmonic Orchestra.
Pavo Yervi leading the Stockholm Philharmonic Orchestra, music of Arvo Parrott. Not the Arvo Parrott most of us know, though, at all. Not the minimalist. It's a much more angsty kind of Arvo Parrott before he discovered tintinabulation. Let's move up now to a work called Cantus in Memory of Benjamin Britten. This is definitely in the minimalist style for which Parrott is so well known, but it also has an interesting structure because he's layered the strings using the technique of rhythmic augmentation, meaning that each successive line as we go lower in the string orchestra from the violins down to the basses is the line from above, but double the length. Let's have a listen to an excerpt of Cantus in Memory of Benjamin Britten by Arvo Parrott. Our conductor again is Pavo Yervi, this time leading the Estonian National Symphony Orchestra.
Cantus in Memory of Benjamin Britten by Arvo Pert. We heard Pavel Yervi leading the Estonian National Symphony Orchestra. We definitely arrive now at the composer's mature compositional style. It's a complete 180 from Necrologue, the piece we heard before. It's an example of what he calls tintinabulation, inspired by the sound of bells, but also, I think, the simplicity of bells. This is what gave him the courage to become what we now think of him as a mystical minimalist, using these bell sounds, but also very simple structures for his music. The next composer I want to play is such a fascinating figure in contemporary music. It's John Adams, very much a chameleon in some ways. His late pieces don't sound anything like his early pieces. His middle pieces don't sound like either the late or the early pieces. And yet there's a very clear progression. I wouldn't say that he changed his opinion at any one time. It's a much more gradual progression, which makes perfect sense because if you know minimalism at all, the whole point is that the music gradually changes. You almost don't notice the patterns change until you're in a new pattern. And Adam started out almost as a textbook minimalist. He made his career as a minimalist composer, but he went in a lot of other different directions after that. The piece I want to play now is Short Ride in a Fast Machine. And again, this is textbook minimalism from the opening woodblock that's keeping the pulse, the little cells that repeat, the driving rhythmic nature of the piece, all of that within the minimalist bailiwick. And then we're going to move up to a piece called Harmony Lera, in which he's paying homage to the German Romantic tradition, which I don't think you can get any further removed from minimalism than the huge orchestral sound of Mahler. And he's definitely paying homage to Mahler. But first, short ride in a fast machine. Here's Michael Tilson Thomas leading the San Francisco Symphony. Thank you. 
It's a live performance of Short Ride in a Fast Machine. You can tell the audience loves that piece. Always an audience favorite. It was Michael Tilson Thomas leading the San Francisco Symphony. I believe they are the organization that commissioned the work. Of course, Adams has had a long-standing relationship with the San Francisco Symphony. I was thinking as I was listening to it that there aren't that many minimalist pieces for full, large orchestra. So we have all that fanfare brass that you don't normally hear in minimalist pieces. And I was thinking, why don't we normally hear that? Oh, yeah, because there aren't normally brass instruments in most minimalist pieces because it's not for the full orchestra. Well, that's very early John Adams, again, very much in his minimalist period where he made his reputation in the beginning. Let's move up now about a decade to the early 1980s and Harmony Lyra. This is also a commission from the San Francisco Symphony. And the writing of this piece ended an 18-month period of writer's block for Adams. So I find it very interesting that this is also where he goes in another direction. He's decided to channel the ghost of Mahler and write a big-scale German romantic work in that style. We're going to hear an excerpt of the second movement, and if you know Mahler's 10th symphony, you'll definitely hear the influence. Here again is Michael Tilson Thomas leading the San Francisco Symphony, music of John Adams.
That's an excerpt of the An Fortas Wound, the second movement of Harmony Lara by composer John Adams, who we heard in Short Ride in a Fast Machine right before that. These pieces were written around the same time, and yet they're so incredibly different. It's hard to imagine that's the same composer. It's not exactly a change of opinion, like I said, but it's certainly a radical new direction for this composer. We heard Michael Tilson Thomas leading the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. The next composer I want to play is Lois Virk. She is a composer whose name I recognized, but I did not really know her music. I certainly didn't know her personal story. She was very much trained as a Western composer, using Western scales, Western harmonies, all of those things we expect in the Western hemisphere. But shortly after her studies, she heard Japanese music, especially gagaku, which is the imperial court music of Japan. And she was taken by these new sounds, so taken by these new sounds that she went in a completely different direction with her own music. And this became one of the overriding influences in her music. The piece I want to play is called Timberline. We're going to hear an excerpt, as it's a rather long work, and the ensemble performing is called Reloche. Music of Louis Vierk.
we always hate to fade down a piece, but especially that piece, I think it's so beautiful and it's so self-contained, develops so slowly under its own kind of rules of engagement, as it were. The Japanese influences are so apparent, not only in the sound, but I think also in the pacing of the music. It's music of Lois Virk, and we heard Ray Lash performing. Again, music inspired by the Japanese court tradition, Gagaku. And this was a huge change of opinion for this composer, a change of style when she heard this music for the first time, and she pretty much abandoned all of the Western style music that she had been writing, that she had been working on, to embrace this new influence. So interesting to me to think about a composer like her who is writing Western classical music and then has this kind of eureka moment where she hears this wildly different music for the first time and says to herself, that's what I want to do. This is the kind of composer that I am. And whether it's a sudden inspiration, like with Lois Virk or with Arvo Pert with the bells in the Estonian countryside, or it's a more considered change of opinion over the course of your career, like in the case of Christoph Penderecki, it's a very fascinating thing to me for a composer to change his style. And of course, it's also a huge road for them to embark upon. Relevant Tones is produced by Jesse McCorders, with special thanks to Christina Elsner. You can find us as a podcast on iTunes, and for more information about the program and the artists we've featured, and for streaming versions of all previous episodes, you can visit us at relevanttones.com. Relevant Tones is made possible in part by the generous support of GCM Grosvenor, the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, the Amphion Foundation, and the listener supporters of the WFMT Fine Arts Circle. This project is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts, Art Works. I'm Seth Bosted, and this is the WFMT Radio Network. <laughs>